I'm Megan Morris-Carter, your host today, and I'm joined by Charlie Winwood, consultant AHP Neurorehabilitation at the Oxford Centre for Enablement, and her colleague Katie Butler, who is a highly specialist physiotherapist. Charlie, Katie, welcome to the studio. Thank you. Thank you. So I'd love to hear a little bit more, first of all, about you and your backgrounds. Charlie, would you like to start off and tell us what you do on a day-to-day basis and how you ended up in the role that you've got now? So um, I start, I'm i a physiotherapist by background. So although my title says allied health profession, I represent occupational therapy, physiotherapy and speech and language therapy at OCE. And uh, on a day-to-day basis, I am part clinical, so 50% clinical. And then I have the uh, other three days are leadership, education and learning, uh, strategic, looking at different projects across that portfolio of therapy within neurorehabilitation. And I get to do some research, which is amazing. Fantastic. And how about you, Katie? Um, So... I've had a love of neurorehab since I qualified and have been working in the neurorehab field um, from the onset of my career. And I've been really fortunate to be working in AUH for a long period of time now and across a variety of different neuro settings within the trust. Um, but I've been working at the OCE for uh, just over nine years now. Um, my day-to-day job is very much uh, clinically based. Uh, so we see patients with a wide range of neuro conditions across a, a really vast spectrum of disability as well. So my day-to-day job is very much about that patient contact. Um, but working within the team, there's a role that we have um, in supervision and education and support of the team around us to provide the best patient care, as well as looking at those kind of quality improvement projects and innovations that really help to develop our team and service around us as well and we work really closely with Charlie and her role um, around those kind of research links and system working so really starting to think about the patients across their whole journey of their neuro rehab as well. Can you tell us a bit about more about neuro rehab and what that means? Um, that's a really interesting is, question yeah. isn't it? Um I think it will mean lots of things, different things to different people. So um, uh, we see people that are in uh, different parts of their rehab journey. So those people that are, have just had their neurological insult, so maybe a stroke, and they're still at those early stages of um, uh, enhancing their quality of life, getting some of their movement back, figuring out what they're going to do next. Um, as well as we see those people with those long-term conditions that are maybe managing a change in that or a, a worsening or a better of their condition and finding out um, what equipment they might need, what um, exercises might might be looking at, what adaptations or support that they might need in the community with that as well. It's a vast spectrum of different things depending on what the patient's goals are, I guess, at that moment in time. And it is a part of... Of, of that word, that journey, I suppose, is what people would say. So it, it doesn't have a beginning and middle and an end, I think, is what's really important. So we can, as Katie said, see anybody at any stage of any any stage of their disease process. But the rehabilitation focus is around enabling somebody to be able to do something that they want to do. So it's not about us saying, well, we think you should be able to do this. It's about people coming to us and saying, I want to be able to uh, walk to the park with my children, I want to be able to climb stairs or I want to be able to feed myself. So there's a whole 
range of activities of daily living, we call them. So anybody wanting any kind of help from getting out of bed to cleaning your teeth to going to work or to be able to think better or speak better. So that real person-centered approach to rehabilitation at any point. So anybody can come 20 years down the line or one day down the line. And I think my sh- I've had a real shift in focus over the last few years with my practice around the leisure and pleasure activities that people have and the levels of enjoyment that people have following neuro uh, insult as well. So um, I think we disregard those things in everyday life, all of us. Actually, we don't do enough things that we enjoy. And I think it's definitely started to put a bit more focus on actually what things do you like doing? It's not just about getting washed and dressed or washing up or loading the dishwasher. It's actually about how you engage with your family, with your community, with your work life and all those side of things as well. Yeah, living life well yeah. is to the best of your ability is perhaps the biggest focus. It's not about just looking at, I think sometimes as physiotherapists, we tend to look at what your joint does, what your muscle power is, what's the minutiae. But that's just a building block or a Lego block to something much, much more rounded in terms of enabling people, I think. Yeah. It's a very personal journey, isn't it? You know, yeah. very, right. Everybody's individual. Everybody is individual and it's unique. If you want to wear gold hot pants and uh, high-heeled shoes and go down the Cali Road, you can. And if that's what you want to do, then we should enable that. <laughs> there is no tick box for neuro rehab. So there are skills and technical things that we can learn, and but you have to have critical thinking skills as a therapist to go alongside that so that you you really understand what your patient is after at that moment in time from you or the service or anyone else around you and what they actually want and need, definitely. And even if they don't know, it's sometimes yeah. exploratory. It's quite a strong question, isn't it? An open question. So what do you want to do? <laughs> it's like a career's advice almost, isn't it? It's like, what do you, what, do you want to be a pilot? Uh, you know, whatever. It could be any of those things. And so really it's about a discussion point and then using, as Katie said, the tools you have as a physio to be able to enable that person to discover that. So yeah, voyage of discovery, I would say, in your area. So, so both of you, I think, have been involved with improvement of the service and, and thinking about how you make improvements. C- can you give us some examples of the ways in which the service has, has improved over the last sort of five, five or ten years and, and kind of what have you learned from the experience of, of trying to make those improvements? I think, you know, COVID is a great example, isn't it, of uh, rapid changes in healthcare systems. And I think... Um, the introduction of of how we just see and interact with our patients has definitely changed. So um, uh, we're definitely doing more virtual work. So we're using the Attend Anywhere platform for video calling. And that um, is something that has been really new. And actually, we've always viewed therapy as very hands-on. And actually, we're really realising that it doesn't need to be all the time. And actually, having that hybrid approach has allowed us to treat people more quickly, more efficiently, adding to that kind of greener NHS, um, that footprint that we're, we're thinking about all the time. Um, so that that's definitely one thing that's come in that um, was a really quick sort of transformation for us um, for an improvement in our service. And patients really like it as well. They And actually even now, today, I gave the patient the choice and they can make the choice on the day as well, depending on what's going on with them. There's the patients with complex needs at home, so actually it's not always viable for them to come in and attend appointments either. 
but it still means they're having access to a healthcare service, even if that's from their home environment. Um, so that that's one thing that's been um, really at the forefront. I think how did um, how did Star deal with that? Yeah, um, it's a really interesting question. <laughs> like it's it's um, it's so variable, isn't it? People like what they like, and um, and change is always quite challenging. I think you, the Attend Anywhere platform was a forced change, so um, we we had no choice at the time but to offer that part of our service because we couldn't see our patients in person. Um, so I think some people took it on board and got on with it really, really quickly and others really struggled with that change and that interface um, uh, because it's just different. Actually, it's a different way of practicing as a therapist as well. Um, but what I would say is the longevity of it is actually most people have carried on using that platform. It's not something that's reversed with the pandemic being in the place that it is now. Um, so people are still very much heavily involved in using that uh that tech and that that way of working um so it's not some there's been a few things that have stopped that we did in the pandemic that uh, are different uh, that people have stopped doing but the use of attend anywhere has not been one of them so i think people have understood its benefit um and how it can fit into our service really well uh, yeah i agree and i think that there was some work being done within oxford with trish greenhall's group and we had started to look at manuals and look at what video consultation could look at, you know, in terms of what we perceived it could be. And as Katie said, because it was a forced choice, you just got on with it. You know, there was there is still some anxiety amongst staff about learning how to use something that's digital. And that tested people's digital know-how or digital literacy. People were afraid that they might get something wrong. Um, the patients less so, actually. The patients were, this is all that you've got on offer for me. But that contact, we, the, the social contact, even of a video consultation in that time and even now extends, you know, manifold. It's, it's just a, it's a beautiful kind of symbiotic relationship between something that's therapeutic, hands-on. And I suppose, it, in a way, you can't put your hands on a patient, can you? So... You have to look at different ways, and that is what the patient's living with day to day. Anyway, they're not got a, a therapist standing in front of them, facilitating any kind of movement or enabling them to do something. And they'll you'll often get the same: "Oh, I can do this in physio at the session when I come to you, but I can't do it at home." And you're kind of exploring different environments, different worlds for patients, but being able to use attend anywhere to extend to somebody's house or home with their family carers around and support it in that virtual way has been amazing. And the digital stuff still comes up, I think, doesn't it? People still go, I'm not sure how to, what do I do? But those are step-by-step -step learning tools that we can help people with. And actually, there's nothing better than trying it out, is there, and learning mm. by default, using, you know. <laughs> and a platform like Attend Anywhere is so simple and straightforward to use that actually, even if it's new to somebody, it's um, it has its teething problems that we shared and worked out. But it it was something that was really easy to interface with, and that I think that definitely makes the difference. And I think it, that kind of um, improvement in our service, you know, we're, with our neuro rehab, we're very much aiming for self management, self efficacy with our patients because. They have long-term conditions when you're in, when you have a neurological condition, 
So actually, it's another interface that just allows kind of, this is not the right word, that weaning off process of being, having a therapist involved in your care. So it just provides that little bit of distance. But as Charlie was saying, that support that and, and that uh, visual that you can still have with a patient as well that's just so beneficial rather than the phone calls that we would do previously. And in terms of other innovation, that extends itself out into where the tech world has come to us. And, you know, we have some digital solutions, uh, gamification uh, devices. So we've been able to lend product uh, to patients to take home. And then they've not just... The only place they've previously been able to use it has been within a four-wall brick building. And that, as Katie said, means that somebody's got to come to the building at a time that suits often us, actually, not the patient. And therefore, they've got to get up, get dressed, get out, get parked, get parked, buy a ticket from the machine, which seems to cause endless problems. And, and in this way, so one example that we've been working with is something called Neuroball, which is a hand exercising device that links to an iPad tablet system and enables the patients to practice um, squeezing, turning, manipulating using the game device that we just simply wouldn't be able to do uh, with the patient one-on-one. And actually, we don't. We don't need to do it with them because the patients, once we demonstrate how it sets up, that extends that they borrow it they're doing many more repetitions than we could ever do by saying, you must come in, use that here. We won't give it to you. Sort of feels a bit cruel, doesn't it? You know, you, th- there you are. I want to come in and use this because I know, as Katie said, is the innovation is changing into repetition and it's more like a training uh, uh, for, uh, you know, to get as many repetitions as you can to get that change. I think that's definitely been the other drive in our service. We know that the research is out there that we have to increase intensity of practice or our patient cohort has to increase in intensity of practice in their neuro rehab. And we know that we don't have the workforce to do that on a one-to-one basis and we probably never will. So you have to think differently and creatively about how you allow patients to practice what they need to practice. And those kind of technologies so we're uh, really helping us and we're moving towards much more sem- what we call semi-supervised practice and group-based work. And actually, although Charlie was talking about those innovations being at home with the patient, which is great, we can also use them in the group scenarios. So you can have a much higher patient-to-staff ratio um, than you would have had before because they can be practicing these things and then you can go and make adaptations and then they can carry on practicing. And we see that those innovations are giving people hundreds of repetitions rather than often the 30 that you might do in a one-on-one therapy session. And, and that's what you want to see. And we know that those things can deliver really good outcomes for our patients as well. It's also a bit about uh, motivating the patient, isn't it? I mean, I've certainly seen my husband uh, had a, a knee injury not long ago and uh, yeah, the, the the level of enthusiasm you had for doing the exercises was not high, let's say. Um, and, and I think it is quite challenging sometimes, isn't it? When you go back to normal life, you're almost, you're back to your usual level of fitness. And therefore, there isn't the incentive perhaps to do the exercises as much as, as the practitioner would really like you to do them. Yeah, we do know, and everybody knows that it's a bit like brushing your teeth. You know, you should do it twice a day. And so that's something, you know, you need to look after. But that whole looking after, when it becomes that you have to do it, as in the patient has to do it, it becomes really hard. And as you say, 
when you're nearly there, you think, oh, I don't need to do it as often. But actually, we know that some for some patients, that trade-off of 10% of muscle power or 5% can make the difference between walking to a bus stop to get to work or being able to get out of bed and do something. And that's kind of where you we need to reframe it as clinicians to to inspire people to be able to do that because it does make such a difference to, to people. But yeah, it is hard. It's never easy. So any which way that we can do that is going to be fun and inclusive is is a, is a great thing, I think. Yeah. Well, I've had that conversation <laughs> with one of my patients today. It is or you do always have it daily. Have you done? Have you done? Been doing your exercise? What you've been prescribed? And uh, my patient was lovely and honest with me today, which most of them are now I haven't. And then you start to unpick why. And there's often multiple reasons. So then we started to have a conversation about that leisure and pleasure activity. What is it that you truly enjoy doing? What is going to inspire you to um, participate and engage in some form of physical activity? And I always try and use the word physical activity rather than exercise because it just feels a bit a bit softer to some of our patients, who, some of which may never have participated in regular exercise prior to this happening. And actually, so if you can find something that they can tune into, that they connect with, that might be in the form of gaming, it might be in the form of an app, it might be in the form of just recording your step count that's your innovation, but what is it that you can find that just gives them that trigger, that motivation to carry on um, the, the, that 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 individual needs, and again, it is different for everybody. So, so what do you think is the the future of physiotherapy? In a sense, such a good question. Such a good question. I the physio by its very nature is a hands on. I mean, it's one of the. Th I can't think what what's on our badge. I, mean, I should know what it is, but you know, the hands are central in our you know our society badge. And so I don't think that, you know, you hear about all of AI coming in and it's, we're going to all be replaced. But actually there are, I think medical practitioners and teachers are going to be the ones that are less likely to be replaced. So we, we're not going to lose our jobs yet, Katie. <laughs> but there is that, that hands-on bit that still needs to be there. But I think as clinicians and as senior clinicians, we need to acknowledge that we need to move with a digital interface as well. And I don't think that's taught very well in higher education yet because it's around models of traditional uh, hands-on or electrotherapy type work. So I think that there will, I think there will be a blend. I think that we are going to get into this hybrid um, uh, state where the kind population is getting older. Well, I, I, I don't know exactly know the statistics, but we know about the NHS long-term plan. We're going to have patients that are a lot more older, needing a lot more resource from us. And as Katie said before, well, there aren't going to be more of us trained, although we do need to train more people. We need to retain more people within the NHS. So there is going to be, I think, this remote monitoring. There is going to be this interface with AI, AR, VR, all that XR extended, it's just extended reality is going to be part of it, I think, for, for physiotherapy. Whether that means that you'll be able to reach like a haptic sensation through a screen and manipulate somebody's hand, I don't know, but that would be kind of futuristic, wouldn't it, to think that you could do that from a distance. Uh, 
I don't know. You, I guess if you can think it, it could happen maybe. I don't know. But that would be my thoughts is that we are going to be working in a much more blended approach um, with remote monitoring. And I don't know, your phones already do it now, don't they? You can stick your thumb on it. It does your heart rate. There's some things that, you know, you can additionally with blood pressure, med, you know, uh, measurements. So I'm assuming that if without it being too big, brother, and we've talked about this, is if there was some monitoring system and we could see that somebody's step count was going down, we might know that there's an infection or a change in their neurological condition and it might alert somebody to say, oh, what's happening? Do we need to visit you, look after you? What do we need to do? So for me, I think it's uh, the future is bright. I think Charlie and I were talking about this earlier today and actually my perception and we see it is that actually there's there's a lot more advances in the private practice world of these things. So there are tech labs that exist in um, private practice. Those innovations are much more a reality in that world than they perhaps are in all NHS services. Now, that's not to say these things don't exist in NHS services, but they do. But it's becoming much more normal if you want to access these advances. Actually, you go and see private clinicians for it. So you end up with this inequality, don't you, within our healthcare system where some people are able to access that and pay for it. So I think there's this there's this catching up stage to happen with NHS services as well, alongside um, uh, private services. And I think, um, you know, it's thinking about how, and maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but thinking about how we manage that kind of red tape that goes with working in the NHS systems. It's about having uh, that kind of tech and innovation that aligns with the systems that we have to hold for good governance and things within the NHS as well. So whereas you don't have so much restriction in private practice, so they can set up um, these uh, technical labs where people can practice arm technology, um, exoskeleton yeah, and stuff, all those kind of things that, um, name a few others, Charlie, you know, a few others. There's, lo there's lots of different, you know, there's uh, different setup stations for arms, for legs. You know, you could literally, I mean, that going back to your what's changed, we set up an arm lab within... OCE, which essentially means you could go in there and practice anything related to your arm in this semi-supervised way. But Katie's absolutely right. This technology is out there. There's a lot of it. But the choice that we have in the NHS is often limited because there's a gatekeeping process, which is actually quite right in terms of governance, but you can't just simply go and say, I want to try this. I now need to have it with me we're going to borrow it. It doesn't quite work so seamlessly as that. So patients will often use the um, the private sector to enable them to access something they've heard about on the you know on the internet. And somebody goes, oh yeah, you can try it here. This is where you go. And so whether they all work or whether they've got good research background or they've got good clinical evidence is is a bit arbitrary uh, in some cases. But yeah, there's lots of different companies, Thor, Fourier, um, Tyra Motion. There's lots of digital companies that are actually synthesizing. I think that's my impression when you now they you go there, there's the kits broadly looking very similar. So yeah, I think it's and getting that evidence is really important, isn't it? When you're bringing something into the NHS, you do need to have that really strong evidence. That's really strong evidence, yeah. There's, we, we've got to be honest about that, that that's background. And, and me as a consultant, I would say that, yeah, the research is really important that we know 
that the money that we're spending on that device is beneficial to everybody, that whole community from patients from staff and time and what it does um because there's no point in having a really expensive piece of kit if it only suits one person um, you know you've got to have that value proposition yeah, yeah yeah but maybe that's the bit that needs to change within the physio profession because actually you can't get that evidence unless you try this equipment and you get the clinical outcomes for it so actually as a profession we need to be fully engaged in following that process from a learning about digital tech and innovation as much as understanding and being involved in the research or quality improvement um, process that goes with that. Um, so I think that's that's really important that it comes from undergraduate level all the way through. And if that's, you know, needs to become really ingrained in our practice that we absolutely take on these um, these new innovations that are might be weird and wonderful in the first place, but unless we know what the clinical outcome is of them, we're never going to bring them into practice and at the forefront. And they also, uh, the value is, is that, you know, bioengineers, uh, clinical scientists, they'll, and any researcher, they'll come with fantastic ideas. And, but it will be that relationship with a clinician that will uh, translate it to a more usable product or a wearable product. And I think sometimes we, I don't know, maybe we aren't nervous, but I think sometimes when somebody presents an idea that's, Perhaps just, you know, outside of your field of knowledge when you've trained. Do you know what I mean? You, I suppose, I don't know if you, as you get older, you, you, I don't think you do. Maybe I'm being a bit, I don't think you narrow your focus. I think you get more you critical. No, I <laughs> you get, you need to keep that breath, don't you? And keep exploring this energy that could be around somebody has an idea that, as you said, needs to be, uh, you know, in, in, in tandem with, the with the science and the science is really important to us as well i think from i suppose that's where physiotherapy comes that art science it's what is it you know which which part and i think it's got a beautiful meld of that yeah it, it, it is really interesting isn't it to um to think about how you get people to think outside of what they've been trained to do and kind of the to-do list that they have and i think it's particularly true in the nhs because everyone has so much to do that it can be very difficult to do those nice-to-have projects that that perhaps seem to be not essential and therefore not on the to-do list necessarily yeah. um i think the other challenge that that we found when looking at um physio in innovations that we brought in from europe is that um, the landscape is quite different in the NHS. So in some countries in Europe, you get far more physio sessions funded. Um, you know, there's, there's a greater level of funding for that, that rehabilitation post, uh, either a procedure or, um, a, a, an incident. And therefore it's quite difficult to sort of justify an innovation because it seems to be so much more expensive than what you do at the moment. I don't know if you've got views on on whether that's actually the case and, and how that could be changed. I d definitely speaking to people recently and knowing, I would say, uh, particularly in Czech, Hungary, those they've got wellness spas where these are they're not you're the spa that we think of in terms of hotel and swim pool. Oh, well, they are, but they they're, they're sort of they are rehabilitation facilities, so people are entitled to go to somewhere that is looking after them and promoting their health and well-being. And we often find, because we've got people of all nationalities, you know, coming through in the UK, and we work with people a real broad range, and their experience is very different from at home, as they would say, to the UK. 
about what if they've come to work here, you know, about what they what they're aiming to get. But then similarly, sometimes when you supply something like a piece of digital innovation like the neuroball or a grunt ball or a hand device, they go, Oh, do I have to pay for this? So there's there's a kind of two strands really that there's this many more sessions uh, available from a physiotherapist in a one-to-one model or with digital, but then there's yeah, it's it's difficult. It's it's really tricky to meet it. But I guess there's possibly more people, I don't know, through the UK going through the NHS service and that's the framework we've chosen and it's a it's a good it's a good framework. There's a massive drive at the moment for rehabilitation across all specialities as well. So I don't know if we've just suddenly woken up to the fact that we've got to we can make people better and the acute stage is great, but actually it is all of a sudden about the quality of life that comes after it. And I feel like we almost need to get on the bandwagon and champion that at this moment in time. And because, yeah, I, I agree. I think the rehabilitation side has always been um, the kind of forgotten part at the end when the patient is well enough to be living their life again. Actually, they need that support and um, community around them to enable them to do that. Um, so there's lots of those government initiatives. Our professional body has been championing rehabilitation now for a few years um and it's very much part of some of those government initiatives but yeah you've got to you've got to fund that haven't you and i don't necessarily always think you need more staff i think you do need to think differently and it is investing in these technologies and innovations that actually yes they might seem expensive when we first ask the question but actually in the scheme of things and if you can prove their worth and clinical outcome then they're, they're a lot cheaper than um, employing a member of staff for 10 years to do, to do that job as well. So um, it is just about thinking really differently about it. But I think, I think, yes, we are behind in rehab and I think this is the time to catch up and I think it is at the forefront of agendas at this moment in time, um, both from a high government level point of view and from an AHP point of view as well, I don't think it is just physios championing that work. I think it comes from all AHPs. Community Rehab Alliance, that's a really strong voice and it's and it's coming through. It is. I, that's a really good point, Katie, actually. I agree that, that that sometimes rehabilitation is the forgotten part, isn't it? Because you, you're not in an emergency situation, but you're not in an emergency situation that requires um, medical, lots of medical intervention. But actually, you are in an emergency situation. And if, if that's your life and you can't access what you would like to do for leisure and pleasure or even family or work, then, yeah, it is, it's tantamount to being yeah, quite critical to everybody. I think that economic case is really important, actually. And, and it strikes me that, that actually rehabilitation is a little bit like preventative medicine in, in this respect, in that actually investing in it can mean that that patient then doesn't have complications, doesn't come back into the service, doesn't have another acute episode, potentially can contribute economically by going back to work or support other members of their family. You know, there's, there's lots of knock-on benefits, but sometimes it can be quite difficult to articulate those in the business case for the innovation that you're trying to put forward. Yeah, because everybody's unique, aren't they, as well? And that it, it, there's not a, it's not a one size fits all. Yeah. And it's a risk, isn't it? It's, um, so you've got to have somebody that's prepared to take that risk and invest um, because it's going to take time to reap the benefit of that investment. It, there's, there's never going to be an instant fix with this, whether you consider frailty, neuro rehab. Uh, cardiac rehab, whatever it is, it's not going to be this instantaneous 
fix if you put in a piece of equipment or innovation. It is going to take time for the longevity of that. Um, but I, I really believe that there is longevity in these things. And actually, all the things you just said, Megan, it is about preventative medicine. And um, it goes back to that self-management, self-efficacy, actually. How can the patients really manage their conditions themselves um, and look after themselves at home in their communities um, without the need to continually access healthcare professionals? Because that's ultimately what we want for them. And that's I suspect that's what the patients want as well. They don't want to be involved in healthcare services if they can help it. So if you were inventing something right now, um, which I'm sure you are, <laughs> then what, what would be the features of, of that? For me, it is about digital. Yeah, there's definitely, I, I don't know what it is. I probably can't really say it out because I don't know exactly what it is, but I think it's that constant exploring it. And I think it is around what Katie said. There's something that we would would be developing we know there's robots out there for arms. We know there's robots for walking. They're not everywhere. They're expensive. So is it about scaling that to the point whereby everybody has access to it? For me, there's something about that preventative bit you talked about in terms of cognition and dementia. And, you know, if you've got good brain health, you are going to be more alert and more able to uh, think, speak, and act in your own for your own for your own self. And so, I think that from a physio point of view, it may be that it sort of sits somewhere in this multidisciplinary team. And so, for innovation, for me, if it was really purely what I'd want to be able to do, I'd want some sort of haptic device that I can do something to enable me to reach. I mean, Oxford is an, an interesting county, as you know. I mean, Banbury is still quite a long way for pe people to travel and we don't, you know, we can't transport. I don't have the flying ability. Maybe that's what I want to do. I want to be able to fly really instantaneously. <laughs> <laughs> the flying physio, maybe that's what we're going to call ourselves. Develop some sort of helipad for physios. But yeah, I think there's something about, there is still a, for me, as a therapist, as a physio, there's still something about touch. So if we could innovate touch to a digital world that enabled somebody to be better, quicker, faster, speedier in that day, that's probably what I would go with. I'm probably thinking far too outside the box with this, but I think I'm probably doing myself out of a job. So much of what we do is of a coaching role with our patients. It's very much uh, getting them to understand where they are in their rehab space and how they crack on with the practice and the things that they need to do. But a lot of people need support to do that. Um, and it's about that self-management, self-efficacy again. So if there was some sort of technology that could support that, I think that would be great. There's, you know, we've got self-help books. There's things that people can read, those kind of things. But this is about actually how do you get people to engage in a day-to-day -day basis in these things? And uh, what what could that look like? What could that be? Um, and, you know, thinking more outside the box and just having an app that reminds you actually are there affirmations that could be could be around your house. I, I don't know that's, that comes in some sort of uh, more digital technology that's a bit more motivational than perhaps people having to read um, and, and those kind of things. Uh, I might be doing myself out of job there because I think those probably are the skills that we do need to perhaps still do in person. But I think some people would still respond to uh, some digital tech around that 
I think there are, there's all these robotics, they all exist. They're all there for what we would call that impairment-based stuff, those physical problems. And I think they're coming and they're just going to keep developing. So I think it's time to to think outside the box of actually, what is it that stops people participating in physical activity? And is it that uh, they can't do it physically, which is often not true? It's actually, there's lots of other factors that go alongside it. So thinking a bit more outside the box for people, I think would be would be great. I don't know what form that looks like. <laughs> Fantastic. So haptic feedback and coaching and motivation between the two, then then perhaps we'll get somewhere. Something like that. Some sort of mind-body interface. Maybe we're talking a bit too broad, but yeah, I think those are the types of things that you wish you had instant access to at the time. Yeah. But, you know, I like, it's, it feels like it's way in the future, but maybe it's like, I like the idea of flying physio, but actually how can you get equipment to somebody's house instantaneously that then you can interface on a video platform. How you know? How can you deliver that kind of stuff that you need? To, how can you get a walking aid there? How can you get an exercise band there? How you know? How what is there something out there that will enable us to do that um, really quickly, so that you can you can actually have a really proactive therapy session within that space of time that's been allocated as well. Interestingly, we've been talking about drone delivery for medications recently, which is you know partly the same sort of issue in the sense that sometimes you can get the clinician there and then they don't have the, the exact medication they need because they needed to see the patient before they could actually prescribe. Um, or similarly, you know, perhaps the, the, the patient needs some equipment that you'd like to be able to provide to them, but you're somewhere else. And so I think it's a similar sort of ch- challenge, isn't it? I'm too heavy for a drone, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, we, we we might have to wait a while for the, the super flying physio. <laughs> but you see the robots going around Milton Keynes, so you know, can they have bits and pieces in them that are healthcare pieces of equipment? You know, it's it can be doable. I, I think that's a, a fantastic place to to close this is with with a vision of Charlie standing on one leg on, on a robot, uh, attempting to get to to her patients. <laughs> Thank you, Charlie and Katie. It's been fantastic to have you um, and and some great ideas that you've got for the future. Thank you. Thank Thank you. You've just been listening to Charlie Winwood and Katie Butler of the Oxford Centre for Enablement. They both have a background in physiotherapy and talked about their approaches to neuro rehab and how this could be enabled by technology. I hope you enjoyed this latest in our series on opportunities for innovation on the front line of health and care. If this episode sparked some ideas or you'd like to know more about The Hill and the work that we do, please reach out to the team on connect at thehilloxford.org. Visit our website www.thehilloxford.org or connect with myself or The Hill page on LinkedIn.